welcome into the Non-Negotiable Podcast. I'm Gavin and I'm joined today by Pascal. How are you doing, Paz? All good, Gav. Thank you. And Justin, how are you doing, mate? Good, Gav. Okay, so let's start by the latest instalment of the ever more popular Who Am I game. So here we go, boys. I started my career with Suppressor before moving to Arsenal, where I played 23 league games. I spent most of my Arsenal career out on loan with spells at Lorient, Betis, Olympiacos, Villarreal, Sporting, for who I played 19 games, and then back to Betis before I moved permanently to Frosinone, Lyon, and finished with Monterey. Who am I? You know who it is, guys? Uh, I think so, yeah. Yeah? Yeah, I got this one. Okay, cool. Well, we'll visit back at the end to see if you're right. Um, remember to play along at home. Um, we are the NN Pod on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. So go play along and uh, let us know if you get it. All right, so let's get into the weekend then. And before we get on to our game, um, just we saw City win at Palace very early um, to put the pressure on. It was definitely a penalty. came at a time when I think most of us were starting to think maybe Palace could get something out of it. Um, it was frustrating, but you can't really argue that Palace deserved anything or that we were surprised, right? Right. I think we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. It's kind of like every time City has a game, you know, y- you hope the result, you know, goes the other club's way, but you expect City to win. And I think uh, that's exactly the situation that we were in this week. But man, Palace is in dreadful form, aren't they? Yeah, they're in they're in real trouble down the bottom there. I mean, the bottom of the Premier League is just is something else at the minute. I mean, from I think it's seven points separating the bottom from twelfth spot. It's it's going to be an amazing running just at that bottom there, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. There's a lot of clubs in trouble. Um, no one's really safe. I think, like you said, up to twelfth. So it's it's crazy. I think uh, James mentioned something today that Palace didn't have a shot on target in like three games either. So. It's really rough for them, and I, I feel bad for Patty. Yeah, that's the uh, the first time in Premier League history. Well, actually, the first time since the statistic records began, which I guess was in 03, 04. Um, and it's the first time a team have gone three consecutive games without having a shot on target. That is, uh, yeah, that's crazy stuff. But anyway, so City's win cut the gap to two points. We went to Craven Cottage and we had to win. Well, Craven Cottage is quite a nice place to go, to be fair. Um, it's a nice little ground. I was pretty confident from the start. Paz, were you confident? Yeah, I think I was. Um, I think I even said that in the last uh, podcast that we did. I, I just felt that it was the type of team that wasn't a low block um, comes out to play, um, and uh, that suits us. Uh, a team that at least has a little bit of attacking, attacking endeavour, um, and uh, I, I just had a feeling we 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 could um, we could get victory. I didn't think it was going to be as e- as easy as it seemed, um, but but yeah, I, I didn't really have too many too much concern with that game. And on Saturday, we had Charles Watts breaking some news that Trossard was going to be back and Jesus was uh, going to play some part off the bench. And that was a real boost. Past the confidence was already there before. But once that news came out, it was all systems go. Yeah, absolutely. And you can see why 
why the confidence went up because uh you know obviously we'll get into it but Trossard was magnificent and um uh, Jesus's cameo was was great to see it was like he'd never left everything about it was like he'd never <laughs> left um so it was um yeah it it really did instill confidence um I believe in in the team and uh, you could see that from the outset as soon as they uh kicked off yeah, we kept the ball well. We were knocking it around well. And it was it was just a matter of time, really. Um, 15 minutes in, we have the disallowed goal. It was a brilliant play down the left between Martinelli, Xhaka. Xhaka with an excellent reverse pass in. Martinelli with actually a really good shot across the goalkeeper. And Leno, Leno made a pretty good save on that, I thought. But it hit Robinson and, and went in. I didn't see any reason to disallow the goal at first. I wasn't even thinking VAR check. None of the players seemed to be thinking VAR check. Just, we talk about VAR check every week. Again, it's one that hasn't cost us. So, but did you see any lines? I didn't, no. I'm I'm with you. The first time I saw it, I just thought it was, you you know, a goal. One nil, one nil for Arsenal. And, um... It, you know, it, it's just crazy how often this keeps happening to us. Um, VAR is is not our friend. And I don't care if his big toe is offside, to be quite honest with you. To me, this goes against the spirit of the game. It's If you're going to micromanage a part of the game to this degree, I, I just don't get it. I don't understand why VAR is going out of its way to look for ways to disallow goals. I just don't understand it. Just this ain't what it was brought in for again. No, absolutely not. I think it, um, uh, not only does it ruin kind of the, the pace and in tempo of the game, but it, uh, you know, it causes, uh, some weird pause after a lot of goals before people start to celebrate. It's just, it's not good in the spirit of the game at all. Like you said, and, um, you know, people like goals, you know, goals are exciting. Um, why they're looking for any reason to chalk goals off, I'll, I'll, I'll never understand. But that's that's where we are right now. And the other thing it does is it disrupts the flow of the game. So we were well on top at that point, obviously. We just started pinging the ball around and playing some good stuff. Now, that ball hits the back of the net on 15 minutes and 40 seconds. By the time the goal is actually disallowed, it's 17 minutes and 45 seconds. It's over two minutes to disallow a goal that really shouldn't have been disallowed. And it'd be really easy at that point for us to get down. It was the biggest cheer from the Fulham crowd all afternoon when that was disallowed. And sometimes it gets the it gets the other team's towels up. Well, I thought we reacted really well to this, I have to say, and we bounced straight back. And it's two minutes later that we get the goal. Uh, corner from Trossard, header from Gabriel. He got up in between the two centre-backs. It was a really good header. Leno rooted to his line. Um, Paz, it was the perfect answer. It was, it was, and and you saw actually after our um, after the offside decision, you saw Arteta actually. There was a clip of him just telling the team to keep it going. To you know, it was kind of indicating that with the hand signals, you know, the the rolling signals to to, to indicate just just keep going. Um, Not the signal he does see- when he's taking the piss out of the ref. No, not <laughs> not that not that one. No, but then he but then that could have been it as well. It could have been a bit of both. <laughs> um but um yeah, so he he was kind of, you know, already instinctively he's already getting the team just to focus 
And that's exactly what they did. Going back to that VAR decision, what I found was, um, you know, if it was Marcus Rashford, I think would have been a much quicker decision and on side. That's what I would say about that. But also, secondly, um, you know, you can, do you remember back in the day before VAR? It seems that's such a long time ago. But do you remember when they'd, they'd look at the replay? They would say that's tight. But usually you give the advantage to the attacker. Well, That's the what old, you would say with your own eyes, right? It was Remember. the old, is there daylight? Remember that? Daylight yes. between the attacker. And to Correct. me, that was the rule when it made the most sense. Absolutely. And there would be no discussion after the game about that, right? So why can't we just apply that without the lines and all that bullshit? If you want to still keep VR, which I don't think it's going to go, just do it like that. Look at it and say, we'll just give the advantage to the attacker. That's what I would say. It looked like Robinson was playing him on, to be honest. But anyway, um, going back, it was a great response. Um, it was actually similar to our goal against Fulham, but at home. Remember when Richard Keyes went and went crazy after our celebrations when we beat them at home? I believe Gabriel scored that goal. Yes. The winner. Yeah. Um, it was also from a corner. Um, it was nice to see just a standard corner go in, header, goal. Um, we've been used to short corners, which have been pretty effective, but it was good to see us mixing it up. So, yeah, fantastic. He's brilliant at that, Gabriel. He's, I think he's scored, I think, is it 10 goals for us? Um, uh, as a, uh, Not this season, but I think in, in general he's scored, I think, 10 goals. So he's definitely someone who's really useful with corner kicks, for sure. He is. And, and one thing I want to bring up with these, these corners, there was more of an effort yesterday to put the corner underneath the crossbar. Um, just there's a clear difference between these two goalkeepers. Leno used to play for us, Ramsdale does now, and it's quite clear that Leno is very much an on-your-line goalkeeper. He made a couple of good saves today. He's very good at what he does, but he doesn't come for anything. Do you think that we played these corners in as a direct result of the fact that we knew Leno wasn't coming? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, that that's a good point. I'm sure there was, uh, you know, that was definitely um, in, uh, in Yover's head, you know, probably, you know, the week leading up to the game. Um, I mean, it, you know, it, it worked. Um, and I think Trossard's, uh, Trossard's delivery all game was really good. So. Yeah, and it's the second goal as well, which uh, we'll come on to in a second, but it's another one that Leno could probably have come out for. Pass. Ramsdale comes out for that, right? He comes and clears it out. He puts oh. his fists on it and, and clears it away. 100%. I mean, let's not abstain from criticism for Robinson. Well, I don't know what he was doing because Martinelli, we know the size of Martinelli. He just stood there. He didn't even pretend to put a challenge in. So it was awful defending on that front. But yeah, it, you'd think someone like Ramsdale's definitely going for that. Um, and and that was a part of Leno that we would we would be pretty critical of when he was at the club. Yeah, I I think so. And that the second goal. So there's one bit in between the second goal, which was Saliba picking up the ball. Um, our centre half spent most of the game inside the Fulham half. I mean, mm. it was it was a very very dominant, especially the first half. It was very dominant. We compressed the play um, a lot. And and you said at the start, past that Fulham really didn't do anything in terms of they didn't exactly go for the high press but they didn't do a low block and they didn't particularly perform a mid block very well so they kind of you know they they did give us a lot of freedom out there which is something we haven't had recently 
and it, it showed. And and there was a bit, it was 24 minutes in, and Saliba bends a right-footed shot just over the bar. And it was a it was a sign of what was to come because Saliba, I thought, had a fantastic game. I thought he was absolutely brilliant yesterday. Um and our second goal, it was 23 passes leading up to it. Every single player touched the ball. And the key pass in it is the Saliba left-footed pass bent out to Shaka. And these are the passes I always say to you guys that I will never slag off a mistake when we're trying to play out from the back. And this is why. Because this is how you break lines. This is how you get through. You have to take them risks sometimes to get out. And that is what happened there, is that Saliba had the ball. There'd been a one-two with Partey. They'd moved it out to the right-hand side. He turns back. He cuts it all the way back across to Shaka, And it is a fantastic ball. And it is risky as hell. But it had to be played. And he had to be brave and play it. And he did. Xhaka takes it up the field. His pass to Trossard was probably his worst pass of the day, actually. But Trossard <laughs> controlled it absolutely brilliantly. He's flicked it across. And Martinelli's there. And you're right, Pass, in that Robinson, it looks bad. But they had been dragged all the way across the pitch, back again, back again, and back again. And it moves everybody out of position. And Martinelli, who's nominally our left winger, is popping up at the back post on the right. And I think that's what pulls him away. Just the way we move teams about, that's what creates them opportunities, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, we're really clever, especially the the front three are really clever about dragging players out of position, moving players, uh, you know, dragging them wide, dragging them back center. Uh, and you just, the fluidity is is just so nice that it's really hard for people to stay with their their marks. Um, add in the the technical level that pretty much our, our entire team on the field has, you know, going back to Saliba, being able to uh, carry the ball and make that pass. Uh, you know, I mean, we're a, we're a really dangerous team. And this is the sort of goal that doesn't happen when Eddie plays. And I don't say that to be critical of Eddie. Mm. I say it really to show the other option that's been developed here that I really didn't see coming. And that is the Trossard moving into the middle and Trossard and Martinelli being able to switch as fluidly as they do. Paz, how good is it to have that extra option now where you've got, and, and I think Eddie's going to be a great option off the bench when he's when he's back, but that option of having Trossard up there as well, who plays it a little bit differently to Jesus, who plays it completely differently to Eddie, but just having them different options, how important is that? It's crucial because I think what we saw when we were facing those teams with a low block and we went through that little uh, barren spell was that we were, it seemed like we were being found out by these more, um, how can I put it, um, passive teams, uh, Newcastle, Everton, um, Brentford. We seemed to be found out in our way of playing. And that was because all the only option we had at that point was Enketia. Um, and I think you're then limited in what you can do and how you alternate. Um, now you have three options. You have Jesus, you have Trossard, and you have Enketia. So you're absolutely right in saying that if you want to shake it up, you can bring Enketia on because then you're reverting to a different system. So it's kind of like three alternative ways of playing. And I think when you're playing a more defensive team, especially a more defensive team, you have to find ways to exploit around the back. 
And um, the Martinelli-Trossard combo is definitely one which causes them to drift out. Um, but then, you know, you have the option of Vincetti, who can, who's a finisher. We know he can score goals. And, of course, you see what option Jesus brings towards the end of the game. So, yeah, for me, it's crucial, especially at this time and running in the season, because we're going to have moments where we're at nil-nil or at 1-1 and we want to shake it up and change the way of play. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. And it was something that I was thinking about when I was sitting there in that we went from having no options to a a plethora of options Mm. up front, really. And I know it's been said all over the place, but to be five points clear when Jesus picks up that injury, and let's be fair, we all had our head in our hands at that point. For him to come back with us still five points clear is is insane and it is fantastic and it's a credit to Arteta, it's a credit to Eddie, it's a credit to Trossard, Martinelli, Saka, everybody, Odegaard, everybody that's kept us up there has been has been absolutely tremendous because I don't think we we really saw us doing that. But it's it's great to have these options. They're options that we perhaps didn't even see until they happened. And I think it's great because I think they're all going to be used between now and the end of the season. So then we come on after the goal. We're, we're really in control now. And we're knocking it around and we're playing some beautiful stuff. I mean, this is possibly the best football we've played all season. Certainly the best football we've played since September, October time. It was it was phenomenal. And a couple of minutes later, there was a fantastic pass from Zinchenko out to Saka. Saka played a one-two with White, pulled it back, and Trossard just poked it wide with his left foot. That was so nearly the third. Then we had what would have been one of the goals of the season, the little bit of interchange on the end. Xhaka with the brilliant dummy. Trossard knocked it back to him, and you're thinking, go on, son, just slot it in the corner. And he tried to take an extra touch, and it ends up being a pass back to the goalkeeper. And that was a real shame, because just Xhaka had a, he had a phenomenal game, didn't he? I mean, there were a lot of phenomenal performances out there, but um, Xhaka really did in that first half stand out. Yeah, he really did. It, it was kind of more back to early season form. Uh, for him where I think we all agree he was pretty outstanding um, you know it's it's uh, games like today where you're like hmm, you know do we really have to prioritize like a more left attacking eight you know if he could keep this kind of form up um, but yeah I mean I mean everything you know just his, his passing his his tempo control of the game is just when he's playing at this level it's it's just about unrivaled you know and it comes a week after he got his little uh, rest. And I think we may see it as a rest. I don't think Xhaka ever sees it as a rest. <laughs> because I, I don't think rest is in his vocabulary. So uh, I think maybe he had a little bit of a point to prove there that next time maybe it's not him that misses out. But in amongst all this past, there was a little bit of a scare a couple of minutes later when... Saliba knocks it back to Ramsdale, forwards closing in, it was Pereira that's closing in, and Ramsdale tries with the outside of his boot to flick it back to Saliba. It was perhaps a little bit nonchalant. He, We were getting a little bit too comfortable, I think, and Pereira intercepts, unfortunately for us, um, blazes over. It was a little bit of a, of a warning, wasn't it, and a little bit of a reminder that 2-0 is not quite where you want to be. It, it was. I think. Um, I think what we saw. It, it happens. It happens. I think to every team where they're cruising, um, playing great football, and then they get that little bit complacent, 
Um, luckily, from our angle, Pereira opted to shoot rather than cross it in for Mitrovic. But um, we got away with that one. But you can tell that Arteta is not someone who's going to stand for overcomplacency. Um, it kind of, um, I always go back to that game, which we, I mean, we all remember it vividly, that Watford game. We played them away and we were winning 2-0. The Emery. The Emery. Um, yeah, and and the absolute, uh, I don't even know the word, but the, the stupidness of either the instructions or just the players themselves, but over and over again doing the worst kind of passing in and around the box. And I think one of them was Gwenduzi. I think a few times we got away with it. And then Socrates did exactly everything that Gwenduzi was doing and he did it himself and it caused that that first goal for them and then let them back in. Um, so I think um, we, 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 we're going to have those moments. I think you even say it. If you're going to play out from the back, you'd rather a mistake because you've got the intent to go out and then create something for yourself. I think in that case, it was just a lapse of concentration, but, um, but we were let off the hook. Yeah, and I think you're right to bring up the players in that situation as well, because Ramsdale is also someone who we've seen doesn't stand for that, and it was him that did it. No. So you know that uh, we had that, and then he tried a little Cruyff turn on the line about two minutes later and almost got caught again. And I, I think that was definitely uh, that was definitely a wake-up. And fortunately for us, it, it, it didn't last too long because we were straight back down the other end. And uh, and, and not, to, not to cut your cap, but um, the... You you see it with Gabriel as well. You see how important it is for a clean sheet at the end of the game. He's just the 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 high fives between him and Ramsdale just to just keep a clean sheet. So they don't at five nil, they do not want to be conceding a goal. No, absolutely. And that's the attitude that, that you want. But a minute into injury time, we're going forward again. Trossard, that man again, with a, a great cross in, finds Odegaard, Odegaard brings it down, comes inside his man, and he fired that into the bottom corner. That move actually started from a Fulham throw-on where they threw it into the centre of the park. And I don't know what they were thinking. I don't know what the throw-on table was thinking, but I don't know what the man in the centre of the park was thinking either because he stands off and partly wins the header. And and we just drive forward from there. Jazz, it was a, it was a good goal from our point of view, a terrible goal from, from Fulham's point of view. But let's focus on us right now. How important is Odegaard and the way that he's kicked on in his goal scoring this year. Yeah, he's absolutely massive for us. And um, I mean, just class all around. Um, him being more of a goal scorer now, you know, is is obviously really important. And I, I like to, as a team, that we're spreading the goals around, um, you know, far, far, far cry from, you know, Obama Yang having 22 goals and the next highest scorer has like four, you know? Um, so I think it's, it's, it's great that you're seeing, you know, the midfielders, the wingers uh, chipping with goals and, and that goal that Odegaard scores, he just makes it look so easy. It's like, it's like we were playing at a, a higher level speed than Fulham, you know, like they were in slow motion just for him. I mean, it, the, the whole way through the, the poor throw in and then the way uh, Odegaard, controls the uh, the cross and just cuts inside it was like Fulham players were standing still really well done we have a couple of players though past that time seems to stand still for right like Saliba mm. is on the ball he seems to have more time than any centre half I've ever seen Partey is on the ball he seems to have more time than anyone else on the pitch on the ball 
Erdegaard mm. gets the ball, he's in more space than is available on a Premier League football pitch. These high IQ players, this is part of the recruitment process. Absolutely. And I think you hit that you, you're, you're the, just the end part about high IQ. That's what it is. It's the create. The, the way that they create space, but it's also what they do on the ball that also distinguishes them to other, uh, to others as well. They're just extremely smart players on the ball, off the ball, how they make the space. I mean, going back to party as well. In that game, we saw the absolute best of him. And this is why we get so frustrated when he does not uh, feature in any of the big, big ones, you know, the uh, 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 Man City games or potentially Liverpool games or games we really need him because that's what he does so well. But yeah, it is an incredible... And Odegaard's um, goal return this season is just absolutely explains why one, Arteta made him captain and two, why he's just so important to this team. His composure on the ball, he's taking so much, far more shots than he used to do. It's just um, really we're seeing an, a, a, an, an evolution of a team before our very eyes, just changing year to year and just getting better and better. And that's why Trossard has fit into this group so well. Mm. He's his IQ is off the charts. His control in sports spaces is, is off the charts. He's a better player than I thought he was. And I thought he was a good player at Brighton, but he's a better player than I thought he was. And he's yeah. someone you can tell good players because they elevate people around them, right? That's that's what we always say. They make other people better. It's very easy to play in central midfield when you look next to you and Patrick Vieira standing there. That's what the best players do. And what Trossard has done in particular for Martinelli, but... Also, when he's playing up top, Granit Xhaka's playing better. It, what Trossard mm. has done is incredible. Just he's turned into turned out to be an absolutely tremendous signing. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, value value wise, it, it's pretty incredible. I mean, you look at someone like uh, Manchester United and what they paid for Anthony. Now, I know age is a huge factor there, but I mean, still on field product, he's just been really impressive. I know it's early days, but he reminds me a bit of uh, Santi, you know, Cazorla in, in the way that, uh, you know, his close control and just give, getting out of situations, elevating the rest of his team. Uh, you know, it's it's kind of Santi-esque to me, uh, especially the impact that he's making, you know. Yeah, I think there's about 15 players from the recent past that we can compare him to because he, yeah. reminds, he also reminds me a lot of Thomas Rosicki. Mm-hmm. Um, I can mm-hmm. see some... Some of the better qualities of Samir Najri, not the fact that he's a prick and turns in circles all the time, <laughs> but some of the better close control moments of uh, of Najri you can you can see in there. So I think there's uh, I think he's he's an amalgamation of a lot of different players, um, and if he can be as good as Rosicky and fit, <laughs> then I'll I'll take that every yeah. day of the week. But yeah. I, I do think he's made a difference, and I think he's been a, a very very important signing. And I, I you know hopefully. Next three, four years, it's going to be going to be even better. And you know, we really didn't pay anything for him compared to other Premier League signings. So it was, yeah, he's turned out to be fantastic. It was his day. I think you could have chosen about eight players to be man of the match out there, but I think it was deservedly Trossard mm-hmm. in just about every every vote. You you know, you mentioned Partey, Paz. I think he was superb. Shaka was superb. Um, I thought Martinelli was superb again. Saliba was fantastic. I was Inchenko was in control of everything. Gabriel. Again, Gabriel was superb. 
you, you know, it was a great performance, but I, I, I think with a free assist, you, you have to really hand it to Trossard. Mm. So the second yeah. half, we, you know, we very much played within ourselves. Second half, um, there was they they started quite well. They came out at us. We we sat back. Um, they had a little chance early on. Nothing major. I think Ramsdale made one save about seventy minutes in um, that he pushed away. The only thing I want to mention with that, Paz, we were talking about Leno Ramsdale earlier on. One thing I love about Ramsdale, I hate when goalkeepers make saves and push the ball out in front of them. It is one thing that really gets on my nerves. What Ramsdale does brilliantly when he pushes the ball away is he always pushes it wide. And that's exactly Mm. what he did here. The difference between him and, again, just pointing out Leno because he's a former Arsenal goalkeeper and he was at the other end of the pitch, that's a big difference, right? You see the the difference between the disallowed goal where Leno pushed it out straight onto Robinson's knee and then this one where Ramsdale pushes it and pushes it far enough wide right there's no rebound to be had. Yeah, yeah. He's also a very confident goalkeeper. You know, it doesn't matter if an error is committed by him. It doesn't affect his confidence, it seems to me. And he will still continue to do what he does best. Um, but yeah, that's... And his punching is strong. It's assured. Yeah, mistakes happen. We know that. It, it's going to happen when you're a keeper like that, when you're going to make take the risks. But... Um, I'm I'm with you on the fact that I'd rather him do that and bail us out of situations. And yeah, sometimes the uh, the odd goal will go in because he's come out and he's missed it or whatever. But I, I I just I think you saw the difference between someone who just purely plays it safe all the time and someone who's willing to take that risk, come out and help his back line. And he has a great communication with his back line as well. He's a very vocal goalkeeper. I never noticed that with Leno. Maybe I get that wrong, but I never noticed him as a vocal goalkeeper. Ramsdale's really vocal. He's he's not afraid to give it to his defenders and make sure that they're in line with what he needs. That's part of the commanding presence that he has. He has a he has an aura mm. about him that uh probably more akin to Mad Yens than than David Seaman, because David Seaman was just just assured. Whereas I think with with Mad Yens, there was a bit more of that hyper energy that Ramsdale seems mm. to bring. But he, he has that, and we, we haven't had that in a long time, and it's a nice thing to have. Then we get the subs, and I think three of these subs were interesting. Um, Vieira coming on, because basically I felt he was quite unlucky not to start, but there's going to be one or two players that are unlucky not to start every week now. Nelson coming on, because he came on over ESR, which could be a fitness thing. I don't know, but I thought that was an interesting one. And then obviously the return of Jesus. Just uh, big moments, all three of them. Uh, what did you make of them? Yeah, um, I think, you know, let me address the Nelson one first. I think um, with regards to this, I'm still not really worried about uh, Smith Rowe's like station, his place in the squad. I think... Um, Nelson he's he's been playing really well you know he had that uh amazing moment against Bournemouth and he had a a a pretty good uh cameo and against Sporting and I think he just deserved it he deserved the minutes over Smith Rowe to me it also tells me that uh we're probably planning to give Smith Rowe you know 60 70 minutes in the Europa League later on this week um Vieira is kind of in a similar boat. You know, he's he's played very well his uh, his past couple appearances and, and deserved it. You know, um, he really seems to be coming into his own, getting things figured out. Uh, 
I think we were all kind of critical of of his his way of floating in and out of games, but he's been more considerate. Uh, sorry, uh, more of a presence. Um, so I think there's a big improvement there. And then of course Jesus, you know, uh, absolutely massive. I didn't expect him coming in. Um, I know there was rumors of him being on the bench, but I, I got to be honest, I really didn't expect him to be on the bench. I didn't. I definitely didn't expect him to play. So when we saw him. You know, it was crazy. I know Paz touched on it in the uh, earlier, but, uh, you know, it, it was uh, it was like he picked up right where he left off, you know, including that miss and everything. It's it, it's crazy. And uh, form wise, he looked great. He looked sharp. So I'm really excited to see how quick he gets into, you know, starting and whatnot again. Yeah, and we'll get on to that miss now, Paz. The uh, the touch on halfway line, the spin, the touch was fantastic. Yeah. Vieira did really well to cut across him and let him take the space to the right. He plays a perfect pass in. I say a perfect pass. Jesus did kind of have to shuffle his feet a little bit. Um, and then he hits the goalkeeper from seven yards. Welcome back, Gabby. <laughs> yeah, I think it was um, Tim Stillman who said that. Uh, Jesus does everything world-class except finishing. So it's kind of that was a a microcosm of what he's like the 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 turn uh the energy the fact he's chasing behind Vieira to to be there ready to take the shot and then it's just this shock just a weak weak shot um at the end of it but that and and you see how much he he, he gets frustrated by the fact that he has not scored you can see that um after it happens and I'd rather someone like that than who doesn't you know care um but it, it, his all-round player is magnificent he really is he's just um one of those players that you could never ever turn around and say does not work hard you know you'd never see him not track back you'll never see him um go missing in games he's always around and um that that little move there was just exactly what we've been been missing in a lot of respects with what he offers um it's I, I think that goal will come it's gonna come but um yeah it was it was quite funny to see because it really did feel like we you know that that he, he that it was as if he'd never been away you know no and it was I thought uh when he come on he was fantastic I mean he was buzzing around mm -hmm. everywhere he brings an energy the likes of which I, I I don't know I've ever seen a little buzzsaw like him on the pitch before. I guess I guess Alexis Sanchez might be the the closest I can draw, where he, he brings this yeah. energy that lifts everybody around him, and he's just buzzing and buzzing and buzzing. And yeah, he, I, I thought he was excellent when he come on. He looked sharp. He didn't look like a player who'd been out for five months. He really didn't. Well, there was time for one more chance, um, and it was good play by Reese down the. Left-hand side, a lovely little turn getting into space, and he pulled it back, and Odegaard did what Odegaardies want to do every now and again and uh, found the roof, of the roof of the stand. Just It's a real shame he couldn't cap that one off. Yeah, that would have been a, a, a great end to the game uh, for sure. And, you know, plaudits to, um, to Nelson again. Um, he's had some, some really good, uh, really good moments recently. And, and uh, you know, I'm so happy to see it. I am wondering if he's going to get a contract extension or not. Uh, I don't, I don't have any problems with it, you know, but it'll be one to watch. Um, but yeah, Odegaard, you know, he, he did, he did fine. Um, <laughs> you know, he's, you're not going to hit them all. And uh, 
you know, I mean, just at least the the play alone w- was nice, you know. Yeah, it was it was great. And the only other thing I really want to mention in this game is the uh, the Xhaka pass out to Saka, which seemed to yeah. defy geometry, oh, yeah. and uh, <laughs> everything else. He struck the bottom of the ball, shoved a little bit of uh, left hand English on it, as a, as any professional pool player will tell you. And I think at one point Ben White thought it was going to him, and nope, it just swerved all the way across the sack. And that was uh, it was time for the tricks to come out at that point. But that was that was quite incredible. It's the sort of thing where if it's if it's Odegaard, you'll go ooh. When Shaka does it, it takes you five minutes to figure out if he meant it or not. But he <laughs> he definitely did, and it was a uh, it was a really good moment. So, all right, guys, well, listen, let's end part one there. We'll come back with part two. We'll talk a little bit about the broader side of the game. Um, and then we'll we'll get stuck into to sporting and, and beyond. So uh, we'll see you all after the break. Welcome back to the Non-Negotiable Podcast. This is part two. I just want to address a couple more things from the game before we move on. Um, first one, Jazz, this is something that you've spoken about a few times, and uh, it's Arteta and his subs. And... I definitely get the feeling they're getting better. We wondered before if it was just because he had more options. I think we're seeing that it is because he's got more options. I think the the trusted player pool is probably gone from 13 to 16 or 17 now. It definitely feels like he's made a lot of adjustments. Yeah, I don't have any complaints um, anymore with the way he's been making subs. Um it definitely was something that was bothering me. I felt like he he waited too late or you know wasn't able to to get um you know like little more breaks in for some of the guys but I think he's really nailed the substitutions lately and I I I guess you're right you know I mean it had to just be you know his options um I think you know he's got a lot of trust in almost everybody in the squad they're all his guys now um and you know you're seeing that play out yeah, and we're seeing it with a starting lineup as well, where we're seeing a little bit more rotation than we did before. It was our running joke that is it going to be Trossard or Martinelli? Is it going to be White or Tommy Asu? But mm-hmm. now you are starting to see there are a few more little options coming into play. Um, on Thursday night, and we'll get into this later on, I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, uh, see Reese Nelson start. I wouldn't be surprised to see Emma Smith Rose start. So there, there's options there that weren't there before, and I think that's definitely that's definitely the biggest reason behind this. Pass, you've been watching Arsenal as long as I have. To me, this has been a theme forever. We take leads 2-0, 3-0, 4-0 in at half-time, and we stop. We've done it forever. Why do we do it? And in a season like this, where it's so tight and two or three goals could be big on the goal difference. I mean, can you understand why we didn't go for the throw? I, I do. I I don't think Arteta wants it that way. Um, I, I don't think that, like you said, it's been something that we've seen for many years. Um, and I don't know why, why it does have, well, I think it's it, it. It obviously stems from mentality. I think you. Uh, I mean, we played the game not in a professional capacity, but whenever I play the game, if we're leading six nil, I think there is inevitability that you're going to put your foot off the gas a bit, and you might do a bit of showboating or 
um, you start to just perhaps get a little bit complacent because you're thinking, well, we're leading 3-0. It's on them to come back. And if, well, the if they're not going to give it to us. I mean, I mean, let's be fair. The game, the game was, was over, over. There's, yeah. There's, there's no complaints about that. But just sometimes but, I really feel like we, we could push. And, and, and like I said, this has been years. The amount of times the Invincibles used to get two or three in the first 24 mm. minutes of a game and then literally stop, just shut it down. And it was always so frustrating. It could be self-preservation as well, you know, that you're at this point in the season, no one wants to get injured. No one wants to be out for a lengthy period of time. So perhaps they pull out of tackles. They don't go in maybe as hard as they want to go in or they don't run to the ball as quickly as they they could. There's possibility of that. There's sometimes a thought process of the next game. We've got sporting next. I, it, I can't really put a finger on it. But um, what I would say is what we did see in the latter years of Wenger is not only will we take our foot off the gas, but they'd also come back in the game. So at least we haven't lost our concentration on that front where we're not leaking goals or we're letting them back into a point where we're thinking, oh my God, this could be 3-3 at the end of it. We saw that a lot, especially the latter end of the the, the Wenger years um, where we just had no mental control. Um, and we would literally let them in goals wise as well. Um, I didn't, I do see us being not the same, but I also just see that feel an element of control still in the game. Um, but yeah, I can't really answer that. I wish I knew exact reasons, but that's my theory on it. It's perhaps a, a accumulation of, you know, self-preservation, um, just natural mental, um, a natural mental change that you go through when you're leading by such a big amount, um, you know, those type of reasons. Yeah, that's fair enough. And Jazz, I'm going to come to you with this one because you've been uh, a big Arteta fan from the beginning. You've always supported him even when things weren't going well. Well, this is his 100th win for as Arsenal manager and comes in 167 games. Uh, win rate of 58%. That's pretty good going. Yeah, I mean, it, it really is. Um, I know things were, were dark uh, at points. Um, but I guess, you know, I, I could kind of always see the, uh, you know, the vision, like what he was trying to do. And I think, um, you know, as is, is awful as our football was in, in like early Arteta tenure, um, I think it, it shows, uh, well, not experience because he didn't have any, but it shows... Um, it shows his capability that he was able to be pragmatic and play a system we know he didn't want to play to get the results. And, you know, I mean, we, we won a trophy. Um, so I think, I think that speaks a lot to his abilities as a manager. And uh, I'm just, I'm really glad, you know, he's doing as well as he is. Um, we had no, you know, back catalog of, of, of work to really assess his abilities. And I, I think he he's done a great job. I mean, we're, we're first in the, in the premier league with the youngest team. Um, I mean, guys just been a, a incredible for us. Yeah. I think it's fair to say that we're all very happy with where we're at right now. Uh, has anyone got anything else they want to add? Um, yeah. Just on a question for you guys. What was his first win? Do you remember that? Oh God! Now you're going back. Uh, Lundberg's was I've read it hand. somewhere, but I didn't look into it. But I think it wasn't I think Chelsea. I know. Was it? It wasn't the Boxing Day one. 
Had he won before that? I'll try yeah, to I think it's United. Oh, United. was it United? Yeah, it was United, I think. Does that make sense? Yeah, nice. Yeah, I didn't. I was, I was trying to think because uh, do you know what? The, uh, that part of our history is so kind. The first, actually, Arteta's first year is so murky to me. I think it's because we had the COVID stuff, mm-hmm. we had the weird we Emmerich interlude. And, and then I I kind of skip around between nineteen between twenty and twenty one. It kind of all merges, and uh, yeah, it gets jumbled around a bit. But United was the first. It was a it was a New Year's Day two nil victory over Man United. Nice, probably wow. another Jacka pile, pile driver in that one. I I, I think Pele <laughs> scored. If memory serves me correct, but anyway, yeah. Um, and also just some. Just the the London Football Awards have just gone, uh, have just been announced. And um, Odegaard's one player of the year, Ramsdale, goalkeeper of the year, Saka, young player of the year, and Arteta, manager of the year. Kind of makes sense that clean, most of the main awards were won by by Arsenal. Yeah, they probably should have created some new awards for us. I don't know what else they could give <laughs> us, but we probably deserve more than that. But you know, yeah. Jazz, anything from you before we move? Uh, I think we're good, man. I think we covered everything that, uh, that that I wanted to. Okay, cool. So let's move on. Um, my big white ball has now gone from 11 to 10 wins to go. We have a chance to go eight points clear if we beat Palace next week. City don't play again until the week after when they're at home at Liverpool and, and then we play Leeds that afternoon. It's a big chance to go eight clear and, and strike a big psychological blow how important is this next couple of weeks pass i i, I think i i kind of sound like a broken record because i keep on saying yeah they're very they're vital um but i think um i think it was trossard who said that ever or might have been odegaard uh, uh, forgive me I, I he said that it, it sounds cliche but every league game now is like a cup final yeah, i think it, it was it, trossard it basically said that trossard right yeah so um you know, I mean, it's inevitable they're going to say we've got to take each game as it comes. But that is an absolutely correct uh, way of putting it because they're all equally vital. So I think we've got I, – I always worry about Palace because they're a pain in the arse sometimes. When we Even at home, we had that – remember the Mustafi game when we could have nailed Europe and yeah, the, I think last season. season. Uh, last season where they should have had a, a fucking red for that assault on Saka. Oh, yes. Uh, Mihailovic yeah. or whatever his no, name McCarthy, is. McCarthy, wasn't yeah, they, it? Not Millable Average. I think it was McCarthy. Who McCarthy, yeah. End. You're right. That's right. Where he basically assaulted him. Um, and, uh, you know, I always find they're a, they're a pain in the arse. Oh, I'll do his little tricks or find a way to dive or I don't know. But based on form and based on how we're playing, you've got to expect us to win that game and you've got to expect us to win Leeds because both, again, are expansive teams. They'll come out to play. They've got players that can potentially make a difference, but they're really shaky at the back. And we all know Palace is in woeful form. Um, So win those two games, ball back in the court of City. Liverpool, okay, it's not Anfield. You'd feel more comfortable with that. But I don't think Liverpool are going to go into that game and just sit back and hope for a draw because they're playing for fourth at the moment. And that's not looking assured looking at their form. So it will put the ball in City's court, maybe put a bit of pressure on them. So, yeah, vital games. And um, hopefully six points and uh, over to you, City. 
Yeah, agreed. The one thing, just where they do have a bit of an advantage over us, obviously we've got the five points, which is huge. It's in our hands. But if you look at, if you compare the away games of the two teams, they've definitely got the easier of the away games, right? I mean, we've still got to go to West Ham. Um, who are going to be scrapping for their lives. We've still obviously got to go to Anfield. We've got to go to Manchester City. We've got to go to Newcastle. We're going to be battling for fourth. Are they the keys where it's going to be won and lost, do you think? It's hard to say. You know, um, I think it is really one game at a time, you know, exactly what what Paz said. And I think, uh, you know, no matter what, you know, we're just, we're going to have to be like on our A game in all of these, no matter how uh, out of form the opponent is, no matter where it is, whether it's home or away, uh, we've really got to be on our game. I do agree. We have the tougher schedule, um, especially like looking at somebody like Liverpool, who's been um, very shaky uh, away from home, but still quite good at Anfield. Um, Going to the Etihad is going to be, you know, pretty intense. But, like, you take just those two games, if we're able to get six points from them, you know, or even just beating City at the Etihad, you know, is absolutely massive. So where I think every game is important, I think the tide can definitely be, you know, uh, well, not turned, but I think the tide can definitely be, you know, maintained and the gap grow if we do well away. Yeah, it's a, it's a huge thing. That Man City away game, I mean, that's that's probably going to be the one. When it when it comes down to it, that that is probably the game that that everything's gonna everything's gonna hinge on, and we're gonna be hopefully a very different proposition in that pass than we were at a home game, right? Because hopefully we're gonna have Thomas Partey and Gabriel Jesus playing. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't want to jinx anything, but uh, would well, Jesus have more optimism? But Partey with the international break and. Yeah. I don't know, there's some poxy game they're going to have against Botswana or someone like that. And he's, you know, I, I don't want to put a negative thing in it, but I, I just, if he's available, yeah, like we've said all along, it's going to be massive for us. Um, I think um, I, 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 my, my, my point about those away games, which is probably an advantage for us, is all of those teams, Newcastle, when we played them at the Emirates, didn't come out to play. They will at... Um, at, at St. James's, or if that's, I don't is it, what's it now called? Petro State Stadium uh, or whatever? I, think, I don't know. I don't think they're calling it Riyadh St. James's? Yet. I think it's no. still, uh, no, I think it's, I think it's still St. James's still, Yeah, They haven't, now. they haven't come up with a, with a faux sponsorship to take no. over, you know, for like $3 billion. Dollars. Yeah, that's next year. <laughs> okay, so I think Newcastle are going to come out and play, which is good news for us. I think when teams do that away from home, uh, you know, we can we can really give them. We it, I think it suits us more. So I think Newcastle will definitely. West Ham will as well. Um, I think uh, City will do either way. Um, and we all know Liverpool is definitely going to go for it when we play them. So that that could actually help us in these away games. I'd be a bit more worried if it was you know again Everton away or these really low block teams are just going to park the bus. Um, so I, I feel we, 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 we could have an advantage there, but, um, yeah, I, I, um, that city game is going to be, uh, I don't even know I'm going to get through it. Yeah. I hope the gap is bigger before we have to go to the Eddie Hud, you know? Yeah. For, yeah. And for... Liverpool is another one that worries me as well, but, um, you never know with that one. Yeah, I think you just got to stay positive because the team of uh, the kit, the team have earned our trust. I think this season, absolutely. I think it's, it's yeah. fair to say, 
So, 100%. you know, they've got to be looking at this as, as an opportunity rather than anything else. You know, a lot of people are looking at the game, especially at the Etihad, where you can lose it. And like Jazz said, I think, you know, you've got to look at it as the place where you can win it. It's not like we haven't mm. done it before. You know, we've won the league at Anfield. We've won the league at Old Trafford. We've won it twice at White Hart Lane. It's not like we haven't gone away to places and won league titles before. So I think it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a positive. For, it's got to be spun as a positive for them, for sure. Yeah. Um, so the announcement this afternoon was that uh, Jesus' rehab and return to fitness has been documented by Arsenal.com. Jazz, you going to uh, you looking forward to getting a little glimpse into that? Uh, yeah, I'm I'm going to check it out for sure. I think uh, you know I <clears throat> anytime we get a look, you know, into the 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 background of things that are going on at you know at the club, I'm going to be interested. Uh, you know, the Hale End uh, Academy documentary docu series, the uh, All or Nothing. I mean, I love that kind of stuff, even if some of it's you know manufactured drama or or, uh, you know, the club controls it for good PR. I think it's still really interesting to just get behind the scenes and, and learn more. And just from a, a, you know, kind of like a, a medical standpoint, just just looking at what goes into a player coming back from a long injury layoff and the kinds of things they do, how long it takes them to, you know, get back on the pitch and stuff like that, I think will be really interesting. I've not really watched anything like that before. Um you know, like a, a professional athlete rehab and, and everything that goes into it. So I think it'll be really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. There was one on Bellerin that was uh, very interesting because Bellerin's a, 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 an interesting character anyway. Uh-huh. And they did one on him that was uh, absolutely fantastic. And, uh, you know, and he talked about uh, he was uh, he was obviously a more serious longer term injury and, and eventually ended up affecting him um, pretty badly. But he went through a lot of mental struggles with that. And I think part of what is interesting with these elite athletes is how mentally tough they are, how they can survive things that normal people just cannot do. There's a, There was a quarterback um, for the Washington Redskins called Alex Smith, who basically had his leg snapped in half a couple of years ago. And he came back and played when the doctors didn't even think he'd be able to walk. He was an, he was 10 minutes away from having the leg amputated. And Netflix did a series on him. And it is incredible to watch these guys and the way they think and the way that they prepare themselves is is amazing. Pass, it's, uh, it's, it's an intriguing view into an athlete's mind, isn't it? It is. It is. And, and then you see why they're, why they're in the position they're in because – it's not something that all of us are able to handle. It's a totally different world for them, but it's a very, very focused um, world. And it, it's one that requires ultimate discipline. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it's really interesting. I, I, I actually was just going to just pivot to something very quickly. I don't know if you saw it, Gav, maybe you as well, Justin, but it's again, and I don't mean to always bring this up and I don't mean to exclude you in the conversation, Justin, but this was like more Gavin and uh, my kind of error, but David Hillier, have mm-hmm. you seen his interview with, um, he's with these podcasters I think I've, they're from Newcastle yeah, or whatever. I've not listened to the interview yet. I've seen the I've seen the pod and I keep meaning to listen to it and I haven't because I find David Hillier fascinating. Um I I was I was I actually saw him play for the reserves against Norwich in like nineteen ninety. Um and I remember wow. his I remember his debut and yeah, he was uh he was a good little player for us for for a while. He, he is, but he also gives an insight into what the footballer's life was at that time. Mm-hmm. And the 
difference between and also when Ryok was there and how toxic it was when Wenger came in and changed everything, but did it in such a kind way, like even dropping you, Wenger would always do it in such a respectful, kind way. Um, but he he talked a lot about what the culture was like, um, you know, the, especially drinking. It's like on levels that you just could not imagine fighting, brawls. It's pretty crazy. I just thought I'd pivot to that because, you know, we're talking about the rehabilitation of a player and how an athlete is now. I'm sure there was the focuses, parallels at that time, but also just the culture was so different. Mm-hmm. And it's really it was quite a fascinating hour and a half. And also when he got done for um, stealing someone's luggage, yeah, he talks about that very openly. Yeah, Can you imagine that, Justin, that you're a footballer? But at that time, he was earning £800 a week. He was wow. one of the low low uh, earners at the Arsenal football team because you had Burkamp on about six grand a week, which sounds like nothing now. But so he still had the temptation to steal someone's luggage. <laughs> but it's a really interesting story. And even if you don't weren't growing up at that time, and but it's good to see the difference between what the culture was then and how it is now. Yeah, and it, well, that goes back to what just said too, though, in that it's uh, it's an insight into the inner workings of the club. You you get to see the yeah. behind the scenes stuff, and it is it is. I always find that fascinating as well. So, well, that brings us nicely onto Thursday night and and sporting. And I think the biggest single question just for Thursday night is: Jesus, does he start or does he come off the bench? Well, as sharp as he looked. Um, I probably would still have him as a substitute. Um, I just think it's easier to to manage his minutes that way. Um, he was out for a long time, you know, and uh, it would make me a bit nervous to start him. Mm. But, uh, you know, I mean, the, the medical team, Mikel, they, they all know a lot more than I do as well, you know. So I'm sure if he does start, he'll be he'll be ready to start. Um but just for me personally and my my stress levels, I think I'd prefer to just see him maybe get 20, 25 minutes, ease him in, you know, especially with as good as Trossard is. I don't want to, I don't want to rush him. You know, I don't, I want to, mm. yeah. I think there's, there's clearly a plan with all these guys. And it's, I think it's built around minutes per week as much as anything else. Do you know what I mean? We saw it with Smith Rowe when he came on and went off again and it was no, slight on him it was simply that he played 50 minutes and that was in his legs and I think you saw it again mm-hmm. like we said when he didn't come on at the weekend and and Reese did first off Reese has earned the chance for a bit more game time but with ESR I think there's just this need to need to manage the minutes and I, I think you're right with Jesus what I actually think he might start on Thursday night I wouldn't be surprised to see him do 45 minutes Mm-hmm. in build up to doing 60 at the weekend but i think it's going to i think it's going to really depend on how they how they decide to load manage his his minutes pass you kind of see in that not necessarily with the start or won't he but there's probably a minute cap right yeah i think so i think i think it will be as what justin's saying i think he's right on that i i i feel that um with uh, jesus yep like you said there is a certain amount of minutes they want to get him in um and uh continue and then maybe up that depending you know with the games coming um we only have palace i think until the international break so there is no real need to rush him back at all um we were three nil up when he came on 
so it was working uh i think um I, I think that's I I think he will probably come on maybe the last 30 minutes, last 25 minutes, get some minutes in there. And then maybe we'll probably a similar circumstance or probably one half for Palace game. But uh, yeah, I think with just I think they'll keep probably I think I think probably Nelson comes in. Not sure about Trossard. He might do it as the centre forward um, and then uh, ESR perhaps in the Saka role but dropping Saka or not dropping him but putting Saka on the bench is always a something that uh, is very rarely happened so uh, I think it'll be ESR or Nelson to start though. I think it's a must though on Thursday night not to start Saka and you know me I'm not a big mm. fan of rotation I'm not a huge rest guy that's just it's just not me but I do think it's a must that he that, uh, he's going to play a part, right? Even if he's on the bench, we know Arteta's going to bring him on for 20 minutes if mm. he's on the bench, because that's what he does. But I do think it's important that he doesn't start on Thursday night, and we have options now. I, I think it's probably more likely that Reese starts wide on the right and ESR on the left, but whichever way you want to do it, I don't care. Yeah, I, I just think that we've got the options now. You know, we've been saying for the last couple of weeks that we're pretty comfortable with whatever team he puts out. This is the time for me. Um I don't know how much you want to go flat out in this one, to be quite honest with you. I, I honestly wouldn't care about going out as, as bad as that sounds. And it's, again, it's unusual for me to say that, but I just, I look at the, I look at them away games in particular. And do you really want to be going away on a Thursday night to somewhere in Eastern Europe before you come back to go to Anfield or you have to go to West Ham and, you know, I just I think there is there is definitely something there because you know the later it goes, the stronger Arteta is going to go with it. So I do I do find it fascinating what he's going to do on Thursday. I, I personally, I think he's going to go strong. Pass. You think there's any chance we see Kivior again? It's a good question. Uh, I uh, don't think so. I'm with you. I think because yeah, I think because we need to win that game. Um, because there's no away goals anymore, so you can't just play for a nil-nil um or a one-one. I think he's because we need to win it. Um, I think we'll see him on the bench. Um, and I think he'll put I agree with you. I think it's gonna be a I think Jorginho comes in for party though. Yeah, um, I do. I do. And I think Holden might come in for Saliba too. And Tierney for Zinc Zinchenko, would you say? Because Tierney's back now, right? Yeah, possibly. Possibly, or Tommy Asu, maybe. Mm. I, 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 see I'm I'm a little bit with the Europa I do see your point on that it does worry me but I think we've handled it pretty well this season I don't think we've shown I mean of course when you're playing Liverpool or you're playing City or Newcastle or any of these teams and then you've got the Europa then but I think I, I don't think the games are that much of a toll on us we're out of FA Cups we're not in the League Cups um, so we've got we don't have those games to think about our games are spaced out pretty well and I think when when we see Arteta rest, like Odegaard was out with an illness, but he looked fresh when he came on the other day. I think when we do have players that don't play particularly on one, like, for example, what you're mentioning with Saka, I do see a freshness in their performance and a kind of rejuvenation. I, I, w- I would like us to stay in that cup. I, I really just want us to win a European trophy. I, I'm so tired. I keep on going back. I mean, Justin won't even remember that, but Cup Winners' Cup is the only time I remember us winning a trophy and then losing in countless finals. So I just love us to win the European trophy for me. And it, it is. It, I don't think it's an irrelevant one either. It is one that first gets us automatic in the Champions League and um, gets us seeded 
if we were not in the top four. And it's just a trophy to have, you know. Yeah, I, I, it is a valuable trophy for sure. Like I said, it's the away, it's the away leg before the away trip in the league that worries yeah. me. If it's the home, yeah, you know, know, if you've got the home and then you go to Newcastle, it's not so bad. If, you, if you've got the away yeah. and you're coming back into Heathrow and you're not landing until one o'clock on Friday morning and then you've got to get up to Newcastle, that's the that's the tough bit. But, I, mm-hmm. you know, I want to win every every competition we're in for. I always do. This one's just a little bit, with this year being what it is and I want this title so badly, that it's, it, you know, that's, that's the only thing that gives me pause for thought. Jazz, I think the other fascinating bit, at some point, I think you are going to see Ramsdale take over from Turner. I don't know if it's going to be this week, the next round of the quarters, right? I don't know if it'll be the quarters, the semis, the final. But at some point, you're going to see it, right? Because that's what Arteta does. Yeah, I I, I like Turner a lot. Um, and I, I think he's done a, a really good job, you know, after his his really shaky start. I think he's, he's done really well, even playing out from the back. You know, he's no Ramsdale, but he, he's proven to be pretty comfortable. And you can tell he's worked on it a lot. Um, I think he starts this home leg against Sporting. But I, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see Ramsdale come in in the quarters. Um, you know, I think the quarters is where it really starts to get, you know, real you know you're you're within uh you know distance of the trophy at that point and uh yeah i i see ramsdale coming in coming in after this uh this sporting leg that i mean it's not like it's a competition full of full of mugs there are there are good good teams left in this competition now mm-hmm. so i i think the you know the opportunity to rest these players uh are, are getting less and less because I think you you're gonna have to you're gonna have to play stronger and stronger teams, right, Pass? Yeah, yeah. And um I mean again, yeah, I think what you were saying about Thursday um and travelling will depend who we're playing as well. So we don't really want to play a Shakhtar or someone like that. You know, when you said that the ideal that uh, one supporter said the ideal type would be Shakhtar, I don't know how you think that's ideal. But Portugal's pretty good. Same time zone. Uh, well, not that one hour would make a difference, but very close trips, not too long. Um, so it didn't seem to affect us against Fulham in any way. But yeah, he will most likely, because we're going to be quarterfinals, depending on who we play, he is going to strengthen that team. And we have got a really tough um, set of games coming up in the league. Of course, league takes precedence. But I don't feel that, I think you can still rejig that team with a pretty strong lineup from what we're seeing because a Trossard, one of them's going to have to be dropped. Trossard, Jesus, Enketia, um, you've got Saka, you've got Smithrow, you've got plenty there to work with Nelson that can do a job if they were called in for the Europa League. So, and then you've got Jorginho or Party, um, depending on who we play. If it's, you know, not the best team, the well, Jorginho can do a job. So I think there's still. You know, certain areas where he can still change it, um, but it wouldn't be a massive amount. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if this is just Jorginho's competition for yeah. an hour or 70 minutes. Do you know what I mean? Like, like Partey yeah. always comes on, um, but it, it wouldn't surprise me if this is Jorginho's competition. It Absolutely. Just, it just kind of seems that way. And again, I've got no I've got no problem with that. I think this, this competition is also probably going to be very important for Fabio, uh, for Fabio Vieira. Because yeah. he's, you know, he's got a wherever. I wouldn't even be that surprised to see him on the right wing on Thursday night. I mean, I kind of, I'm not expecting it, 
But it, it wouldn't shock me if that's what happens. He, he's going to start on Thursday. There is a lot of talk that in training, ESR is playing in central midfield. I don't know if either of you have seen this, mm-hmm. but there is a lot of reports out of training that ESR's main position is in central midfield at the moment, which I I don't know what to make of that, really. I don't know if it's a needs musting. I don't know if it's just we've got so many damn players up front that you've got to try and fit them all, get them all on the pitch somewhere. But there is a lot of talk of that. And it's it's interesting because we, you know, I think we've all been pretty pretty steadfast that we really see Vieira as the as the Odegaard replacement, not the Shaka replacement. And Smith Rowe profile wise would probably fit more on that side. Obviously defensively he's not switched on as, as Granite, but he's a bigger guy like Granite. He's he's more powerful. Um and I think that that could be that could be something to watch out for as well. And I just mm-hmm. wonder coming back, we spoke about this last week, coming back, it tends to be more familiar positions, right? Just you get you get someone coming back from injury and you just want to put them in where they're used to. Yeah, yeah, and that that's uh, that's valid for sure. I, I'm personally, I'm not surprised by that news at all. Um, I've I've kind of said it for a long time that I I think uh, Smith Rowe's uh, future is is in central midfield um, in an eight uh, an eight role. So I'm I'm not surprised to hear that at all. I think uh, left wing was a good opportunity to uh, get him in the team, get him minutes, get him, you know, more accustomed to senior football. But I, I always kind of figured he'd be, uh, moved over to the center and, uh, you know, yeah, exactly. I think size wise, like profile wise, he does seem more, uh, he, he's really not a similar player to Jaka, but, you know, profile wise, uh, I think, I think him and him and Odegaard could, could dovetail nicely together. Um, I think there's there's some positional awareness and uh, you know defensive responsibilities that Smith Rowe would definitely have to work on, but I could I could see that being a, a pretty big success. The only issue is you don't I mean the Europa League is kind of perfect to to blood him in in that because you you don't want to risk giving him the minutes in the league in an unfamiliar position, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think he'll play first night. I, I'm not so sure we're gonna. I think we're gonna see Xhaka play on on Thursday night. To be quite honest with you, I don't. I think it'll be Xhaka and Vieira in that in that midfield. Um, but I, I, I'm hoping we see Smith Rowe get some decent minutes wherever it is, just to see him get back in his legs. And I, I would like I was saying, just coming back from injury, regardless of what the plan is long term, coming back from injury, I think he'll start out on that left hand side, just because it's easier for him, more automatism, if you like, to be out on that left hand side coming in. He, he knows the position, he knows how to play it, and I, I think that's where he's right now. He's probably where he's most comfortable along that front line. Paz, who are you most looking forward to seeing Thursday night that we we don't normally get a chance to see? Is it Reese? Uh, um, I would like to see more of ESR, actually. I haven't had a, a chance to uh, to see him properly yet. Um, so it'd be good to see if he can get more minutes than I've seen him play. Uh, yeah. Nelson, I'd like to see Nelson actually. I've, I've been really impressed with him in the times that he's come on. Um, I know you had your thoughts about what he might be thinking not starting on um, on yeah, Sunday, I do, but uh... I do want to touch on that on that real quick because this mm. was something we were we were talking about amongst ourselves before with with Reese, and you know the rumours are out there that we're going to offer him a new deal, but I also saw rumours floating around that there's quite a few teams looking at him. One of them being Brighton. 
if I'm Reese and I'm looking at it from his point of view, I wouldn't sign a new contract with us. I, I really wouldn't. I, I, I don't think he's even in our second team. So, and I think he's a really good player. I, if I was him, I'd be looking at Brighton. It is what I would honestly be doing. And I'd be saying, look, you know, you're you're creating a few stars at the minute. I, I would back myself to go there a couple of years and then get a move somewhere from there. Where where do you guys stand on that, Just? Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to argue that, really, Gav. Um, good player, like you said, but uh, but yeah, I just I think he's a little too far from the first team as of now to um, you know kind of kind of give away these these years of his career, you know, formative years here, and. Yeah, He's twenty four as well, right, Pass? Yeah, yeah, he is, and um, I, 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 I absolutely see what you're saying. And Brighton are very good; they're they're a great little club, and they're very good with young players. Twenty four is still young. Um, you can see what they've done to their, their youth academy, but also just to players they've they've been able to sign and make and make them just better. Uh, it would make probably sense for him. I guess it would depend on the contract that's being offered and what Arsenal are, are offering in terms of game time. You know, you know the old is it is it just a rotational player? Is it someone who's just going to be in and out sporadic, or, or what are they going to be offering him? Um, I, I think, and then also how many games does he play till the end of the season? I think they're all going to play factors into his mind. But uh, yeah, a team like Brighton makes absolute sense. Yeah, it'd be it'd be an interesting one, but we'll you know we'll we'll try and get together after Thursday night, and we'll see everything that have changed again. I'm sure by <laughs> by Thursday evening. So, well, we'll wrap it up. So let's finish with a Who Am I? Um, I started my career at Suppressor before moving to Arsenal, where I played 23 league games. I spent most of my career at Arsenal out on loan with spells at Lorient, Betis, Olympiacos, Villarreal, and Sporting, for whom I played 19 games, and then back to Betis. I moved permanently to Frosinon, then Lyon, and finished my career with Monterey. Who am I, Paz? Uh, it is, I believe, Joel Campbell, isn't it? Is it the Joel? Just who you got? <laughs> yeah, Joel Campbell. Joel Campbell, yeah, correct. You you both got it. I uh, I actually, I didn't think I was going to be able to find another sporting one after I'd already outed Lewis Bermorte and, uh, and, and Hector Bellerin, but there was actually a couple of others. Uh, mm-hmm. There was a guy, Raphael Mead, from the from the 70s and 80s. And my mum actually knows Raphael Mead because my mum was oh. uh, at in Library. My mum was a librarian back in the day. And uh, Raphael Mead and his school class used to come in there. And I won't tell you what she said about him, but uh, apparently he wasn't <laughs> very nice when he was like 15, 16, because he was on the Arsenal books and uh, he, he thought he'd already made it. But that was uh, that's from a long time ago. So I'm sure he uh, he actually, if you look at it, he, he, he didn't have a spectacular career, but he had a pretty good goal scoring record everywhere he went. So, yeah, if you want to have a look at Raphael, look up Raphael Mead. It's uh, quite an interesting case. So, And Joel Campbell wasn't a bad player for us. I think it was a little spell that he had where he was scoring mm-hmm. a few goals yep. and, Coming in and off then the just right suddenly got ostracised, didn't he? Yeah. He just suddenly got... Yeah, was just, a, just this oh, bit after oh, Dick Law had spent the whole summer chasing him around Costa Rica. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. yeah that was, really uh, odd. Yeah, prime banter era stuff, I think. That, uh, that, oh, that, that was the very was. start of it, I think. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. All right, guys. Well, um, thanks again for tonight. And we will see everybody after the game on Thursday when we're through to the quarterfinals of the Europa League. So have a good night, everybody. Good night, everyone. Good night.